why don't you turn to Acts chapter three with me this morning as we continue here in our Blueprint series. If you're new with us, we're about halfway through an eight-week series we're preaching through called The Blueprint, okay? Because the New Testament picture of the church is of the household of God. And every house is built off of a blueprint. And God spoke to me and my wife this summer as we were preparing to move out here. And he said, Chris, I don't need you to come to Salt Lake with some fresh hip vision for the church. He said, the blueprint for my house is already in your hand. It is the word of God. It is the book of Acts. And if you just stand on this blueprint and build what I have already designed, you cannot fail. And so we're about halfway through uh, this series called Blueprint. And I am so excited for us to continue on and to dive right back in to where we left off. Acts chapter 3, 1 through 10, says this. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and they said, don't miss miss this, look at us. He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand. He raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Check this out. All the people saw him walking. And praising God. They recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I came to tell you tonight that there is no higher name than the name of Jesus. His name represents his authority. He is called the Most High because he is seated in the heavenly places far above all other rulers, all other authorities, all other governments, all other principalities. When we begin to walk under the full revelation of the authority of his name, our city will encounter the wonder and amazement of God. I want you to put your hand in your heart. We're going to pray this morning and ask the Father to come and reveal the authority of his name. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be in your presence together. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, and we thank you for your revealed and written word. God, teach us your ways that we might know you more. I'm asking that you would release a revelation of your name in this place, that we might humbly walk in your power and in your authority. I pray that every other name and authority in this place would bow to King Jesus, that even now, Lord, you would begin to expose any false place of trust, and you would unite us, church, 
pray this with me. You would unite us to fear your name, the most high name above every other name. And everybody said, amen, amen. So before we dive in, tonight we're gonna be talking about faith in the name of Jesus. It is a key building block to the household of God. If you try to build God's house and you take Jesus's name from the most high place, then the house loses its authority, okay? If you try to build the house of God and Jesus isn't the cornerstone, then the house of God loses its anointing and its influence in the earth, okay? So we cannot take our eye off the cornerstone. But before we do, I want us to recap. I know some of us have been here all, the whole four weeks. Some of us have been in and out maybe. But here's what our team has been doing as we've been in this blueprint series, okay? Every week after I preach during our staff meetings and our times together in our offices here, we dig back into the message and we say, what did God just reveal? What was God releasing? What was God saying? Because here's the deal. We're not just preaching a sermon series, as I, you know, I just said, I'm two months here. This church has been in major transition, okay? We are in a regathering and a reestablishing season here in Salt Lake City. And so we're not just preaching messages, guys. We are actually creating culture. We're redefining and recreating culture. Are you with me? And so listen, God's house is built off of God's blueprint. Every house has a blueprint, right? Y'all are probably tired of hearing me say this if you have been here, right? But homes are not built according to the preference of the builders. They are built according to the desires of the owners, all right? The house of God does not belong to you. It does not belong to me, okay? And it is not built off of my preferences. It is not built off of your preferences. If you go church shopping looking for a church that just fits all of your preferences, then you are looking for something, I'm not sure exactly what, but you're not looking for his house. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. It's his house, okay? We've been adopted into the family, right? Jesus came to reveal our Father who art in heaven. He adopted us into the family through his death on the cross, paying for all of our sin transgression, through his resurrection from the grave, defeating death, hell, and the enemy, and then through his ascension back to the right hand of the Father, where he then proceeded to pour out his Holy Spirit. That's where we've been the last couple of weeks in, in Acts 1 and 2. The anointed one poured out his anointing so that we would now be the anointed ones on the earth, okay, the church. That is actually what he came to create. He didn't, came to, he didn't come to create an organization. He didn't come to create a focus group. He didn't come to create some cool club where you're in or you're out. He didn't come to create a religious system, okay? He did not come to build a religion. He came to build a family, a family of sons and daughters anointed in him to continue his work. Welcome to the family of God. If nobody told you that that's what Christianity is, okay, this is the house of of God. How many of you guys love to build stuff? You guys love building stuff? Okay. Uh, Legos, anybody? Okay. Model airplanes. I don't know if we got any erector set guys back then. You know, I'm almost 40, so there's this stuff back in the day. It was, yeah, it was kind of got crazy with the erector sets. You know, it's like the, all you pre-engineers, that was your jam, you know. My kids love, we got any home builders in the house? 
Got a handful of guys, okay. Oh, I see you guys back there. Okay, so my kids love Legos, of course, right? What little boy? I got four boys, and uh, it's just, we have so many Legos in our house, it's crazy. But here's the deal, okay? You open up a box of Legos, and there's about 800 pieces, okay, in about six different plastic bags, cool? And it's just a pile of plastic if you don't have what? The directions, the blueprint, thank you, right? And so we have the blueprint. The question is, as God's people, will we follow the instructions, <laughs> really? Will we submit to the blueprint? And that's what we're doing. And our language here is super critical. We say in our staff that if you can't articulate it, then you can't replicate it, okay? Our language is critical if we want to build something that has clarity. Are you with me? And so I want to bring you some of the language that our team through the last four to five weeks has kind of landed on. Now, this stuff isn't set in stone, but what we're doing is, I said, we're not just preaching sermons. We're creating a cultural expectation for how this house is going to be built. And I'm telling you, if we do this right together, guys, how many of you know when you're building a house, you pour the foundation one time. And everything else that happens for years down the road, it is hard work to dig down, to unearth, especially here in the mountains. I can't even imagine, right? But you pour that foundation one time, and we get to come in and that house, in and out of that house. We get to welcome people in and out of that house forever as long as the foundation is, was solid, that's the key. Are you with me? So guys, I'm, I'm unashamedly saying, if you're here and you're part of this family, I know it might feel like some harder work to dig a foundation and pour a foundation again, but there's no more important work than this season I believe that we're in right now. So here's the language, looking back on the last five weeks, okay? Here's the language we've come up with so far, okay? Swayze kicked off our Blueprint series. He didn't even know it. Swayze's our college pastor, okay? And he brought, he brought a word about expectation. Let's get this slide, y'all. We got a slide up here? Okay, there we go. Y'all can read this with me, okay? Read this with me. We believe for big things from a big God. Our level of faith will determine our level of encounter, not the other way around. Come on, somebody, listen. God's word is to determine our level of faith. So I was just talking to a brother that says, yeah, man, I have seen God miraculously heal people. I have seen crazy stuff, but I've also seen a ton of people that I've prayed for not get healed. Okay, look, we don't, we don't lower our theology to our level of experience, we raise our faith to the level of God's word, even if we hadn't seen it. So we're a people of expectation. Uh, the next word is togetherness, okay? Some of y'all love that word. Some of y'all hate that word. It's what we got right now. Read it with me. We regularly gather to seek God as a family. Revival is never about what we can accomplish as individuals. It is about what God can do through us when we are together, okay? Revival is never a one-man show. This book of Acts and all the crazy stuff that happened did not happen because Peter was really excited. It happened because God poured his spirit out on a room about this size of 120 people that were together, okay? The third word is this, empowerment. 
empowerment. Read this with me. We seek to identify and empower the anointing of God in everyone. In God's house, every person has a gift and every gift has a place. How many of you guys have jumped into one of our teams in the last few weeks and started serving? Thank you guys so much. We had Team Sunday a few weeks ago. We'll be doing it again in the spring, but one body, many members. We got to empower everybody. Number four, obedience. We preached on this a couple weeks ago. Check this out. Say it with me. We advance our Father's kingdom through joyful obedience to his lordship. Submission to God takes back ground that disobedience relinquished to the enemy. We're a house of obedience, okay? Number five, last week we came here. I didn't preach. We just went after an encounter with God. Number five is encounter. We live with a passion for God's presence. Transformation occurs as we get to know him personally and experience him powerfully. I'm telling you, we're not just preaching sermons. We are creating a cultural blueprint. By 2022, you're gonna see these words hung up on the wall. We gotta keep these things before us because culture is either something that you plant and cultivate very intentionally or it grows out of control and you end up with stuff in your garden that you didn't want there. And so I just wanna let you know where we are headed, what God's been doing in our midst. You guys cool with that? All right, so before we get back to this Acts 3, look real quickly here at the end of Acts 2, what just happened. Acts 2, 42 through 47. That's where we left off a couple weeks ago, okay? And it's this classic passage about how they were gathered together. Okay, my favorite, do we have the passage up on the screen? Okay, Acts 2, now we do. Here we are, okay. Acts 2, 42 Listen, the very first sentence, will you guys read it with me? It says, and they what? Okay, the early church was, it, devotion is a covenant word, right? You hear that when you go to weddings. There was something about the early church where they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship with one another, to breaking of bread and prayer. And if you read through this Acts 2, 42 through 47, you'll see here in verse 46, follow it with me. It says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay, did you notice the rhythm of temple fellowship and house-to-house encounters? I want to talk to you for a minute before we move into chapter three. It's critical that you understand why we have life groups as a church. Okay, life groups are what we call our small groups or our home churches. And it is not so that we can say we have small groups. We have life groups because it's part of the biblical blueprint. They were devoted to rhythms of fellowship that revolved around a temple gathering Sunday, that's what you're at right now, and house-to-house encounters with God. Do you see that? They were devoted to being together corporately, once a week, and to meeting and gathering in their homes throughout the week, okay? So pull out the sheet that's on your chair, because I want you to see something, okay? There's a sheet on the other side of the light up the streets. You have every life group listed 
that is currently active in our church. If you are a life group leader of one of these life groups, go ahead and stand up real quick. Go ahead and stand up if you lead one of these life groups. Come on, come on. Stay standing, stay standing because I want to pray for you guys for a second. But look, 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 on that thing, okay, there's next to the word life group at the very top, it says, it says rhythms of fellowship that sustain revival. Okay, if we do this right, and we're, we're devoted to being together corporately like this once a week, and we're devoted to hosting encounters with God together, breaking bread, fellowship, house to house, this creates a rhythm of fellowship that sustains revival. And what you're about to see in chapter three, four, five, and beyond, it was the fruit of them being connected in a healthy house of God, okay? You, we've gotta see this in a second, but before we do, now you know if you're new and you're, want, you're wanting to get connected beyond Sunday, okay? We've got young adult life groups. We've got some young family life groups. We've got a couple intergenerational life groups. We've got our college life group. Swayze and the team lead a college life group. It's all there on the sheet. It's not just, hey, join a small group. It's critical to carrying what we're trying to capture together. Here's what I love about Life Group. It keeps the work of the gospel in the hands of the people and in the living rooms of the saints. Guys, the work of the gospel, it's not me and Joe and Shannon, our little staff. You know that we have two full-time staff people at this church? Three part-time staff people. And most of our staff are volunteers, <laughs> probably five volunteer staff, okay? Do you know that the work of the gospel is not just our job? <laughs> Life group keeps it in your house, keeps it in your hand, okay? So we're gonna bless these guys and we're gonna pray that this season of life groups that literally we would see in our houses the same stuff we hope to see here. We would see healings. We would see salvations. Just extend a hand to these guys. God, we bless them. We commission them to lead houses on fire in this city. We pray, God, that you would teach us how to commune with you and encounter you, God, not just here on a Sunday, but in each other's homes, Lord. I pray that we would go deeper together in this season as we're pouring a foundation. It's not just what happens here on Sunday, Lord. It is what happens in these homes together as we get face-to-face, -face, as we share life, as we fellowship, as we break bread, as we confess sin and then take communion and celebrate the blood together. Lord, it is so critical that we're together beyond to this room, Lord. Bless them. Pour out your favor on them, God. Grow this part of our foundation we're asking in Jesus' name. Everybody said. All right. So, out of that, Peter and John are walking to the temple at the hour of prayer. I, knew, I would get, I told you, I'm gonna get back to Acts 3, but look, you've gotta see it in context. Out of their rhythms of fellowship, Peter and John were walking to church through their city. Do you see this? Look, devotion to a community that is expecting and experiencing a move of God will cause you to walk through your city with faith for the impossible. Arlene and my wife heard that. 
I don't know if that landed on the rest of you, okay? Because what I'm trying to tell you is that your devotion to this fellowship will actually change how you see and feel when you walk out there in the city separated from this fellowship, okay? When we anchor into this thing together, it changes how we walk between the temple and our homes, okay? It changes. You might just have life group on Wednesday night and church on Sunday, but you're gonna be walking through this city on Tuesday. And when you're rightly connected with a community of faith that is living with expectation and encounter and obedience, right, and togetherness, then you're gonna walk out into your streets and you're gonna see a need. They saw a need A man, a lame man. This guy was over 40 years old. It said daily they brought him out and set him outside the temple to ask for alms. Check it out. They saw a need that they actually, the need he was asking for, could not meet. They had no silver or gold in their pockets for this man but they knew they had something to give to him. Check this out. This guy was lame. That means he couldn't work. That means he couldn't make money. That means he couldn't buy food. That means he couldn't eat. That means his only hope for survival every single day was being carried, laid at this gate, and hoping people would give him money. If people gave him money, he could buy food and not die. See this man. He was asking for what he needed to survive. He was asking for money. They didn't have money, but they had something to give. Come on, somebody. They didn't have what was needed for his survival in that moment, but they knew the anointed one, Jesus, who had way more than what was needed, not just for this man's survival, but for him to thrive. Did you see verses three, four, and five? Come on. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Peter directed his gaze. Pay attention to the eyes, please. Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them expecting to receive. Why did the Holy Spirit inspire Luke, who wrote this, to put so much attention on this man's eyes? Why? I think there's a couple reasons. Okay, number one, I can assure you that this lame beggar, I'm sorry, pause, guys. I'm sorry, pause, if you've been here for a while. Joe McCann, you fixed this podium, brother, didn't you? Somebody fixed this podium. I just noticed. This thing hadn't wobbled in weeks. I'm sorry. I just got us all distracted. I'm like bringing you into the punchline of the sermon. Hey, man, I love this family, dude. You guys are amazing. Praise God for Joe. This thing's been wobbling like this for like six weeks. It's not wobbling. I'm sorry, guys. I just, God have mercy. I can assure you that this man was not used to eye contact. He was not used to eye contact, okay? You ever been around 
homeless beggar, a lame person living for survival day by day, okay, they don't look at you very often. You know why? Because nobody looks at them very often. But look, they engaged this man instead of ignored him. They directed their gaze when they could have turned away. So when they requested his attention in return and said, what? What did they say to him? Look at me. He looked at them and was incredibly expectant. Now he thought they were going to give him money. Peter and John had nothing in their pockets, but they had everything to give to this man. Now, I believe God wants to hit us from a couple different angles. Okay, look, some of y'all, like this man, have been lame in some area. You have been lame for so long that you have settled for begging for alms so that you can survive. And God is saying, look at me. He's saying, look at me. I don't have just what you need to survive, but I have something to give you. Look, I get it. There's a hopelessness. This guy was 40 years lame every day. I believe God would say, if you feel stuck in a hopeless situation, look at him, not just for your survival today. And look, these apostles had just seen 3,000 men saved in one day, okay? So even though they didn't have money, they knew they had something to give, okay? How much faith do you have to have to grab a crippled man by the hand and raise him to his feet without his consent, okay? Now, now, here's what I love about this, okay? So, up until this point, this is Peter, by the way, who does this radical act of faith. Up until this point, Peter had had his fair share of misses, right? Anybody, a Bible reader, and just like every time you need to be encouraged, just go read about Peter's failures, okay, right? Look, he had his fair share. Some of the best Bible fails, man, belong to this guy. But in this moment, y'all, his faith is incredible. This single miracle sets off what happens throughout the rest of the book of Acts. So some of y'all need to hear this. Your worst moments, like that time you rebuked Jesus, okay, like that time you denied Jesus three times, like that time you cut a soldier's ear off when Jesus didn't ask you to, these are Peter's failures, okay, are you with me? Your worst moments only define you if you let them, okay? Somebody, look, Peter did not let his string of historically epic Bible failures, okay? He did not let him define where he would go in the future. Seriously, your mistakes of yesterday do not limit what you can give today, Do you notice in this interaction the receiving and the giving? I don't know where you're at. I don't know. But look, some weeks you need to come to church expecting to receive something because you need a miracle. But I hope that more than that, if you're a part of this family, you come to church expecting to give something. 
regardless of your past string of mistakes or failures, you have so much more to give in your faith than you even think you do. And if we would do that, oh my goodness, guys. But here's the point. Here's the great, here's the great news. This isn't even the point of the story. It's not even the point of the story. He keeps going. Pick it up in verse 11, and we're, we're, we're gonna land it here in a few minutes. Band, hold on a sec, hold on one sec. Listen, look at the point of the story. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, this is Acts 3, 11, they ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he started addressing the people. So this miracle was so wild, it rattled the temple and the city so much that all these people gathered together in amazement. And so Peter addressed the people. Oh, I love it. Guys, look at this. He says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, which means holiness, we have made him walk? Why are you looking at us like we were the ones responsible for this? Look what he says. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one, and you asked for a murderer to be released instead. But look, you killed the author of life, and God raised him from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Don't miss it. Verse 16. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. The faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. I came to tell you tonight that there is no name higher than the name of Jesus. His name is his authority, and he's called the Most High God because God raised him up to the heavenly places and seated him far above all rule and all authority and all power. But we can only access his authority by faith. Do you know that what you believe about Jesus does not change who he is? Do you know that he is who he is, regardless of you're having a good day, a bad day, believe he can move a mountain or not? He does not change. He is the most high. He is the name above all names. But it will do you zero good unless you call on him by faith. Why are you looking at me as if by our power and our holiness do you see this? Some of y'all need to be set free because you're thinking, man, if I was a little bit better, maybe I'd see more people get healed when I prayed for them, okay? Maybe if you stopped thinking that God moving through you, I'm preaching to myself right now. My wife knows it, okay? Maybe if you stopped believing that God moving through you was all about how good you were that week and more about how submitted to the authority of his name in any situation you were, okay? This phrase, the name of Jesus, appears 39 times in the New Testament. 
the name of Jesus. 18 of them are in the book of Acts. That's why it's a part of the blueprint, because the revival of the book of Acts was built on the cornerstone, the authority of the name of Jesus. But the authority of the name of Jesus can only be accessed, what? By faith. What you believe about him does not change who he is, but it does change your experience of who he is. What you believe about him does not change who he is, but it can and it will exchange your experience of who he is. Ephesians 1, 19, uh, I think 19 through 23, look at this. Paul is praying, he's on his knees, and he's praying that they would know the immeasurable greatness of his power. Band, y'all come join me up here, okay? He's praying that they would know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who, what? Believe. Okay, are y'all with me, church? Okay. That they would know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who, what? Believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above. Somebody say far above, please. It's not a competition, church. Do you know that? Y'all need to stand up and wake up for a second. Come on, come with me. Somebody say far above. It is not a competition between Jesus and the darkness. He is so far above them. Check this out. Keep reading this with me, okay? Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Oh, and if we need to say it another way, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things where? Under, because when you're the most high, there is only room underneath you. Come on, somebody. Here's what I think's happening in this room right now. I'm just gonna be honest with you, okay? Here's what I think's happening. We've looked to other authorities and we know it. We know Jesus is the most high, but we know that in our life, he always hasn't been, he, he hasn't always been our most high. Okay, look, there's other authorities. There's tons of authorities, man. You got your mom and dad. Okay, you got your government. Okay, you got the, the, the highway patrol. Okay, there's all kinds of authorities out there, okay? I got some lower back issues, okay? And I pray and believe, believe for miraculous healing, but I also go see a chiropractor every once in a while, okay? And I submit to him because he's got an authority. I'm great with that. It's okay that there's other authorities, okay? But listen, there is only one most high. And if you get him out of order, it will wreck your life. If you put some other authority above him, you will see negative fruit in your life. There can only be one most high. And look, this guy, 40 years Think of the vulnerability, okay? Think of a time that you felt vulnerable like this guy. It's not hard. We've all been there. Life does this to us, right? I mean, I don't have to say, raise your hand if you felt vulnerable or helpless or weak or scared, right? Because life does this to us. But here's what I'm telling you, church. Who you look to in your vulnerability is your most high. That is both encouraging and it is convicting. And so here's what we're gonna do, church. 
we're gonna sing together. I don't know what authority you have put over Jesus, I don't. But all I know is that if the church, if the church, if the house of God gets its eyes off of the most high authority of Jesus, we will not be able to carry his anointing, to carry his name, to carry his healing, to carry his freedom, to carry his restoration, to carry his forgiveness, to carry his deliverance, to carry his freedom and his kingdom into this city if he's not our most high. The house cannot stand. So what we're gonna do, church, is we are going to, I don't know what you need to do with God. If you need to to repent or have a moment, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. But what we're gonna do together is we're gonna sing All Hail King Jesus. And we are gonna come together in a unified voice, okay? And what I'm asking is for us corporately to put him back at the most high, please, okay? Can you do that with me? Will you follow me there, okay? Will you follow us there? Because it is the name of Jesus that shakes cities and brings them to the wonder and the amazement of the healing God, the anointed one. Somebody begin to lift up some praise because it is the name of Jesus that pulled me out of a 20-year pit of depression and addiction, of lostness, okay? And all your testimonies in this room, He deserves the highest place. He is the highest place. So we magnify you. Do your work in our hearts, Lord, as we sing to your name. Come and have your way, King Jesus.